You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Now, your hosts, Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan. And Mike Brennan. And if it's Monday and it's 2 o'clock, it's got to be another edition of the M Squared TechCast. It is indeed. Uh, and uh, actually, I should have asked before we came on air because I'm the one that always butchers names. But is Laura Graneman? Yes, Laura Graneman. Yep. All right. Got it right. I'm very good. Uh, Vice President of the Quicken Loans Community Fund. And so uh, what we're going to be talking about is the Rocket Mortgage Detroit Demo Days. And uh, you, this is, let's start off with how long have you been doing this? How many years is this now? Do you know? Well, this is year four for us. So over the last uh, three years, we've been able to invest $3.4 million into local Detroit businesses um, or businesses who are excited about moving their headquarters to the city of Detroit. Um, And this is our fourth year where, again, we're going to be able to invest over a million dollars into Detroit businesses. And what an important time for Detroit businesses to be able to get the capital they need to sustain through a difficult period of time. Amen to that. I'll tell you, it's uh, it's rigorous out there right now, but particularly for entrepreneurs. Uh, well, I, I noticed that you mentioned that you uh, that you do this as a pitch competition in front of capacity crowds. I would imagine that's probably changing this year, right? Yes, it looks a little different this year, and I think we pride ourselves in being able to be entrepreneurial in the way that we deploy these dollars, right? So over the last three years, we've been able to put on a super high energy, really incredible event um, that allows Detroiters from all across the city to come and root for their favorite small business, the one that they want to see win. It's a live pitch event. Um, It's really fantastic. Obviously, this year we want to put people's health first, and so we're not we're not going to be doing that. Um, but what we are doing is creating sort of episodic content. So we will release episodes um, that allow people to still interact with the pitches. There's still going to be a People's Choice Award, so our businesses are going to really be counting on everyone across the community watching and voting um, and supporting their small business uh, in their neighborhood. So we're still really excited about it, but it is going to look a little different. So talk about the criteria that you're using. Uh, Start off with how many folks uh, submitted applications? There had to be a lot of them, right? Yeah, every year we see hundreds of applications. Um, and this year in particular, of course, you, you know, we all know that small business is really the cornerstone of, of so many of our communities. And we know that small businesses are also uniquely uh, struggling during this time period and need support. And so we, we, we did see hundreds of applications. Um, and we're, we're again, we're excited about tailoring the tools that we have to be able to support those businesses in a unique way. Um, normally in Detroit Demo Day, we have we have structured our, our gifts a little bit differently. This year, we're going to be a lot more flexible. We're, we're um, supporting small businesses through grants largely, um, apart from one category, which will be a, a, an investment or a convertible note. Um, and we're, we're really just excited about meeting businesses where they're at. So these small businesses must be located in the city of Detroit or must be willing to move their headquarters to the city of Detroit. They also are, are all for-profit small businesses, um, and we're really excited this year about trying to either maintain or grow 
the workforce within these small businesses so that we can continue to see um, job opportunities for Detroit residents. So you've got three categories this year. I know that's something that's changed a little bit from prior years. So you've got start, sustain, and build. Talk a little bit about what those different categories mean, please. Um, absolutely. So the this year, the categories look a little bit different because we're in just a very different world. Um, and so we knew that we weren't going to be helping lots and lots of small businesses um, start their their new venture. We, we recognized that we wanted to support existing entrepreneurs to uh, be able to, to, in a way, take advantage of this moment. Yes, it's an extraordinarily difficult moment for many, many people, for all of us across our communities in different ways. COVID um, has really impacted the way that we show up every day. But there's also, if you're an entrepreneur, a lot of opportunity in that. Um, and so many entrepreneurs that we've been able to speak with over the last few months have talked about how important it is to be entrepreneurial in this time period. Um, and so we want to help support that uh, for existing small businesses who are excited about growing a new arm of their business or starting a new, um, a, a new venture that's linked to their business. We want to be able to support that. Um, so our, our categories this year are start, sustain, and build. Um, and there are different qualifications for each, but we're, we're, again, really excited about meeting our entrepreneurs where they're at so that they can make sure that they're able to pivot, be entrepreneurial, and have the capital and support needed to, to really meet their customers um, where they're at during this, this critical time period. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about each category and, and what the potential funding is for each category. I'm sure that it grades upwards, right? It does, yes. Um, so in the start category, we are going to be able to select three winners. Um, they're going to receive grants of thirty, fifty, and $75,000. Uh, mm-hmm. So the first place winner will receive a grant of $75,000. In the, in the sustained category, we're going to have five winners, um, and those will each receive a $50,000 grant. Um, and then in the build category, like I said, there's, there's going to be either a low interest loan or a convertible note, and those go all the way up to $200,000. Um, so again, really excited about being able to deploy this capital in a, in a time when we know that businesses need capital more than anything to be able to sustain. Amen. Uh, so not to let me before Matt starts. Let me just for, follow up. So the convertible note then would be convertible to uh, equity in the company, that sort of thing, or what? Yep, that's correct. Yep, and we have worked with businesses. So we we actually currently have a portfolio of around thirty businesses from our previous years of Detroit Demo Day, and we've been able to work with each of them to to learn from their experience to be able to continue to customize these investments and tools to be as impactful as possible for the small businesses. Um, And one other thing I would say is that the cohort is extremely important. Um, You don't just receive financial capital from this investment. You actually also receive year-round support from our Quicken Loans Community Fund entrepreneurship team. Um, And that's so powerful because, as you guys know, we're connected back to Quicken Loans and the Rock family of companies. And the Rock family of companies is the nation's largest mortgage lender. We're the largest employer in the city of Detroit. Um, And with that comes all sorts of important um, opportunities to be a vendor, to be able to scale your business, 
um, to be a part of our ecosystem that really is able to support in so many different ways. So it doesn't stop at capital. Um, it really is holistic support for these organizations. And these these pitches are really um brief, intense elevator style pitches too, right? They're only a minute and a half long. Yep. They're 90 seconds. It took us, um, we had, we had pitch coaches uh, from our Quicken Loans Community Fund team who have been supporting all of the entrepreneurs and everyone of course wants to, to say all of the important work that happens at, at your business. I think being simplistic, being clear, um, those are all really important skill sets to be able to succeed at these pitches because they are only 90 seconds. And so you really have to make a quick splash. Um, and we were lucky enough to have some really incredible judges from all over the country come and join us um, and be able to help us um, make those final selections. Um, 90 seconds. I know I've been to a lot of pitch competitions and typically there's four or five major points you have to hit. What the company is who the players are, what the market is, what the potential is, what the exit strategy is. You're going to cover all that in 90 seconds? There is also a question and answer period at the end. So the judges are able to ask some of those really key questions that may not have been able to fit into the pitch itself. Yeah, I was going to say, boy, it'd be real short answers. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So talk a little bit about... um, the people who founded this thing, I know obviously one is Rocket Mortgage Chairman Dan Gilbert, but the other one is James Chapman. Tell us a little bit about James, if you could. Yeah. So as you know, um, Dan Gilbert himself is an extraordinary entrepreneurial mind. Um, And so he uh, has always had a place in his heart for building entrepreneurs across the city of Detroit and internal to to the Rock family of companies. Um, And we're lucky enough to have had the opportunity to work very closely with James Chapman, who uh, also shares that sort of entrepreneurial spirit and is excited about not only his own ventures, but but also supporting uh, so many entrepreneurs across the city of Detroit. So um, we've you know, been lucky enough to work with James for the last four years. Uh, he has been a fantastic mind when it comes to how we can creatively um, and holistically support entrepreneurs in our ecosystem, um, and really just lucky to have him and his vision. So, so tell me a little bit about when and how these pitches are going to be recorded and when and how they're going to be released. You know, when can we see them? Yeah, so we actually already recorded the pitches. We've been recording uh, for the last week. And so all of these uh, entrepreneurs have been able to come in person in a socially distant and, and safe way uh, to the, the, the Detroit Savings Bank building uh, in downtown Detroit, where they're able to pitch in front of these judges um, who, again, have come from all around the country to, to be part of this fantastic opportunity. Um, and we recorded those um, alongside our, our friends and partners at Woodward Original, um, who's our production company. And we're going to be releasing those videos in October. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for it. We, we really want to build in, you know, entrepreneurship. Everything has been difficult for us over the last few months, um, over the last six, eight months. Um, but there's so much hope in entrepreneurship. And I'm really excited to be able to release these these episodes because I think it, it will leave so many people across the city of Detroit with that feeling of hope and that there is something that we're still 
building together, that we're still supporting each other, that it's so important for us to support our, our hometown entrepreneurs, um, and that there's just so much potential there for all of us collectively as a community. Now, I maybe I'm confusing my contest, but I was thinking there's audience participation in yours where these 17 videos, people would like vote on them kind of thing? Yes, there is. So that's even more of a reason for, to make sure that you, your viewership, um, all watch these videos is that each of our categories has a People's Choice Award. Um, and so the people will be able to vote um, after these, these episodes come out. And that in and of itself is a $25,000 award to the winner. So it is a really meaningful opportunity for our entrepreneurs uh, to both be able to increase their client bases and increase awareness around the city of Detroit and also get some real capital at the end of the day. Yeah. Matt? So so, uh, where's the website where people can go and, and vote on this thing for the People's Choice Award? So everything will be available at DetroitDemoDay.com. Um, and again, those those videos will come out in October. Um, but we will make sure lots of people are aware. We'll be putting out lots of, of notices um, and press releases. Uh, so hopefully everyone sees that and is able to take, it, uh, take part in that fantastic opportunity. Okay, take us out, Matt. Okay, well, once again, that's DetroitDemoDay.com, right? That's correct. Okay. Well, go there and uh, check out uh, the finalists. Uh, there's links to their businesses there. Uh, you can uh, find out what they're more uh, more about what they're all about. And uh, once again, it's Detroit Demo Day, brought to you by Rock Financial, um, Rock Mortgage, and uh, the entire Rock Ventures team. Uh, for right now, this is Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan, and we'll be right back with another segment of the M Squared Techcast. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. As a Lawrence Technological University graduate, you're not only marketable, you're worth more. Yes, more. According to Payscale.com, when it comes to graduate salaries, LTU is in America's top 100. Be invaluable. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Hey, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with another segment of the M Squared TechCast uh, with somebody I've heard about for a long time and really admired, Monica Wheat. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Sure. Well, I've actually had the pleasure of meeting Monica on many occasions, known, known, known her for years, right? So, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Gosh, you've been into everything. You're a former venture capitalist that came back to Detroit and uh and you've done so much in the city. Why don't you talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you've been up to, and then we'll talk about this visionary bureau you're setting up. Absolutely. Um, so we've been doing, well, I've been doing ecosystem development work for about 10 years. And um, most recently, uh, about four or five years ago, myself and several partners formed a group called Venture Catalysts. Um, and it's a um, 501c3, um, think consulting for ecos- ecosystems. 
and we do large scale initiatives. Um, and we brought in major partners. We brought in um, TechStars. We brought in um, Afrotech. We brought in um, Backstage. We brought in a wide gamut of folks to come on board into our ecosystem and and provide value to entrepreneurs. And um, whether that's an accelerator, a pre-accelerator, whether that's funding or mentorship or business development, um, we do things that um, catapult. Uh, entrepreneurs forward. So we're, we're excited. And um, most recently, we just finished, um, we did the first virtual startup week in the country. Uh, and that just ended in the end of June. And so that was amazing. A lot of work, <laughs> um, but definitely amazing. And um, 150 sessions this year, um, and several thousand attendees, and um, was really good for the ecosystem in the midst of COVID of helping founders and small business owners and those who want to be either of those things. Um, learn how to navigate in the midst of this pandemic, but in general, um, just learning how to either build or to start um, a, a, or sustain <laughs> a, a business in this climate. All right. So, so let's talk a little bit about um, your your latest venture, uh, <laughs> Visionary Voices. Yeah. So, um, Visionary Voices is, uh, is is not a venture. Um, it's a, a part of a group called All Rays. Um, so, I am. I've been in the venture capital space, like I mentioned, over a, a little bit over a decade. Um, I started out doing um, angel investments when I was when I was in corporate, uh, and some of those initial angel vet investments just didn't do well um, because we didn't have as robust of an ecosystem back then. Um, and Visionary Voices um, sees that issue, but sees it nationwide, and they're really focused. All Rays is is really focused on. Um, amplifying the voice of women in tech and venture capital. Uh, and so they do an annual conference called the All Raise VC Summit, which is focused on females and adding more females into the venture capital space. And they, then one of the other initiatives they started earlier this year um, is the Visionary Voices um, Speakers Bureau. And so basically one of the things that they have found, you know, being in the midst of venture and in, in the culture, entrepreneurship, innovation, if you go to these the different entrepreneurship um, conferences, uh, you, you're seeing less than 25% of the tech event speakers are women uh, and, and less than 15% of the keynotes are, um, are are women. And so what they did is they they tapped and reached out to um, the broader audience. They asked for nominations, some folks they reached out to, uh, and they collectively uh, have put together a group of just under a thousand folks, uh, of ladies, um, who are going to be a part of the, the inaugural Visionary Voices Speakers Bureau. And so that process had us going through like putting out all the you know things we usually speak on, all the things we usually build, and then you know why we think we would be a you know a good speaker for upcoming conferences, upcoming newscasts, um, expert voices, you know, uh, author, you know, author background, all that good stuff. But putting it in one place so that when people are planning these events, they have a place to go to find um, vetted. Um, talented female voices um, in the tech and venture space. And so definitely an honor to be included in this group. Um, these women are amazing. A lot of friends of mine, a lot of women I've admired for years, um, a lot of women who I've seen um, do some amazing stuff in recent years. And so um, to get selected to be a part of the inaugural uh, group was definitely an honor. And I'm looking for, I've already been fielding um, just people looking to connect and people looking to see ways where we can work together. And that was the point of the visionary voices um, uh, initiative. Yeah. Because I mean, I've, I've, I've looked at, I've looked at some figures on this. I've got some up on my screen here right now mm-hmm. and women of color get just a vanishingly small percentage oh, yes. mm-hmm. of, of venture capital. It's, there's one I found on project Diane that said uh, 
basically, um, the Latinas get less than 1%, uh, black women, even less than that. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, there's a bunch of zeros on the wrong side of the decimal point. (laughs) Yes. You know, when it comes to that and it's, you know, so, so this is basically an effort to, to change that, fix that, or at least start to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it starts with representation Um, in in these, there's tons of large tech conferences, tons of um, venture funds that are looking for board members, tons of tech companies that are looking for board members or co-founders or things like that. And I think something like this, it's focused on speaking, but it also is bubbling to the top of so many talented women who um, could be integral parts. And I think that's part of the the problem is just not the, the connections not being there and then people just not having access sometimes. And so I think this goes a long ways towards, you know, kind of eliminating all of those as, as reasoning on why you would you wouldn't have any females on your on your panel or you wouldn't have um, female members of your 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 venture team or your investment team or why you wouldn't have um, female founders as part of your cohorts is, is not being able to get access to them. And, and, and that was a lot behind what All Raise is doing as a group, but definitely with this new speakers bureau that they've um, been a part of. Is there some way for us to leverage that here in Michigan uh, that, that you're on this bureau? And is there some way that we can tap into those resources to help folks here in, in the state? Yeah. Um, so uh, anyone um, can, I believe anyone, and, and I hope I'm not misspeaking, can access the Visionary Voices Bureau. And it's um, allraise, A-L-L-R-A-I-S-E dot org um, forward slash visionary voices, all one word. So it's allraise.org forward slash visionary voices. And if you go on that page, um, the very top link says, see the speakers. And you can see all of the speakers and, and, and have ways to get in contact with them. And that, again, figures out ways. Now, right now, especially in the midst of the pandemic, uh, a lot of folks are doing things virtual. So you have the opportunity to get access to folks who normally you couldn't get access to. So I think that definitely benefits Michigan and, and the Detroit area because there's speakers and folks that we could have in the mix that we would normally be able to get because, you know, them coming live, travel costs, all that kind of stuff. But virtually, you'll have that option. And then going forward, as the world goes back to normal, and you're plotting budgets, and you're plotting ideas of how to have people involved, you'll you'll have a broader um, Rolodex, if you will, that you can use to plan things. Okay. Um, you know, describe to me a little bit about your work in creating an ecosystem in which um, more more women and sort of and and non-binary uh people can get funding you know can can be taken seriously as entrepreneurs yeah uh, it's a huge i mean it's a huge part like as you mentioned um in the world of venture less than five percent of people actually get venture capital funding um for their businesses most people do traditional loans and other methods but of that five percent as we mentioned Hovering around 2% of those are women as a whole and less, as you mentioned also, less than 1% of those are women of color. And so one of the, the ways that we've been working on that for a while is, so the work that I do is on two sides. I work with general market firms and groups that um, have um, diversity and inclusion as part of their tenants, but that's not their their 100% goal. And then I work with folks um, who have diversity and inclusion as their 100% goal. Um, so Techstars is a group like that, that has always been focused on diversity and things like that. Um, Backstage Capital is a group that focuses on underrepresented founders, women, people of color, members of the LGBTQ community, uh, that making sure that those w- those folks are the focus of their pipeline of funding. And so programs like that are ones that double down on making sure that th- that opportunity exists. Um, years ago, when I first started doing this work, we brought a group here that was backed by Google called Women 2.0, which was focused on female founders and was getting those folks in front of um, 
getting, you know, um, people who've gotten funding in front of women who wanted funding. So that it was, it was a natural connection and that was the main way that we got together. So these kind of programs, and we've worked for many, many years with a lot of different um, groups that have females as the focus of, of kind of diversifying the, the content and diversifying the, the conversation, but also, you know, the, the good part about it, I guess, for folks who maybe still don't get it, <laughs> is that um, all the boards and all the companies that have females as, as part of their executive team and their investment team um, outperform the ones that don't. And so when you see stuff like that, if nothing else, <laughs> if nothing else, that should be the way that should be um, a, 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 an argument for folks to figure out ways to um, to be more inclusive and thoughtful when they're creating initiatives and when they're um, creating opportunities. I think that's called enlightened self-interest. Yes, <laughs> enlightened self, I like that. I'm going to use that. Enlightened self-interest. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, and, and I, you know, when I was, when I was looking stuff up you know, for this interview, I, I was astounded to find, get this, as recently as 1988, women still had to have a male relative co-sign their loan in order to raise funds for their businesses. Mm-hmm. I remember 1988. I know I'm an old dude, but still, you know, it's like that, that doesn't seem all that long ago. That's crazy. Actually, That's- a couple of groups were formed off of that. Their names were like 1988 or, or 1990 or something like that, because that was the, 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 the year after was the first time when women could do it on their own. I know a couple of groups that were formed with that name and their branding for that exact reason. Yeah. Interesting. What what would you say? I mean, we've come a long ways. I've been covering this market now for 25 years, um, and it's improved a lot. But what do you think is still lacking right now that we really need to make it even better? Um, I think in general, like I am always proud, and obviously anyone who watches me anywhere um, knows that I'm I'm always proud to be from this region because I think we have the advantage of having started after everyone else. Um, Well, we started before everyone else to be plain. Uh, and then we, we had a downturn <laughs> and then we came back, but now that we're coming back and we're rebuilding, we were, we were, we've been rebuilding with diversity and inclusion as part of our DNA rather than as something we're going to tack on afterwards. Um, so I, I've always been an advocate for that reason. And also because I see it having positive effects on the things that we're building. But I think as far as things that we're lacking, um, we, we definitely want to have um, diverse folks. Or while, while we have programs that focus on helping diverse founders, we want to have diverse folks, um, be they women or people of color, people of different orientations. Uh, we want to have those folks all through the pipeline, not just founders, but in leadership positions and in investment management positions, um, like all those different levels. And I think that completes the cycle of, of what we've all kind of been working for and see as the broader vision is just to make sure there are people at all levels. Um, uh, and, and a lot of that starts with things we talk about a lot now, too. It's like we talk about um, spaces on boards and things like that. Those are spaces and places where decisions are being made that are coming from very uniform, undiverse voices. And so the more that we were thoughtful about that as, as part of our makeup, we'll just be better and better. And to Matt's point, enlightened self-interest, <laughs> it's going to make us, it, it puts us in the better phase of um, earning money and be able to create jobs and being able to create a broader ecosystem. Yeah, you want you want more people in to quote the Broadway show, The Room Where It Happens, right? You know, there no you go. You <laughs> yeah, gotcha. All right, so uh, your 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 venture accelerator. Why don't you give the address for that? Well, it's not venture, angel accelerator, catalyst. Why don't you give the address for that real quick? And then uh, once again, how people can take a look at the bureau. We're getting close to the end of the segment here. Absolutely. Um, so um, Venture Catalyst 501c3 um, is um, at www.venture, V-E-N-T-U-R-E, Catalyst, C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T-S dot C-O. 
Um, there's no M at the end. So that's a venture catalyst. That's our 501c3 um, ecosystem development group. And then um, the Visionary Voices Speakers Bureau. Um, tons and tons of great ladies on there. Highly encourage everyone to get on there and just check it out if nothing else. Um, it's at allraise, A-L-L-R-A-I-S-E dot org forward slash visionary voices. Uh, and so I hope, I hope everyone gets a chance to check out both and join us, especially in Venture Catalyst, as we continue to do our work in Detroit um, and in other cities nationwide. Um, and we're looking forward to just getting even more partners um, at the outset of this pandemic and um, continuing to build. Okay. okay. All right. Monica Wheat, uh, doing the Lord's work to make uh, <laughs> entrepreneurship a little bit more diverse. And uh, Thank congratulations you on your successes so far and much success to you in the future. Uh, we'll you. be back in just a minute with another segment of the M Squared TechCast. For right now, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And you're watching the M Squared TechCast, MITechnews.tv. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Here we go. Hey, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with another segment of the M Squared TechCast with our weekly guest. It's Dr. Doom himself, Fred <laughs> Brown, our our resident epidemiologist and infectious disease expert, and he expert, and he's going to tell us um, what's going on in the uh, wide, wide world of coronavirus. Um, and this week, you your topic is. I thought we were talking about about modeling. Last week we talked we talked about biological modeling, and uh, I that that's one of my areas of expertise. I have to be able to do that in order to uh, understand how to best intervene when I'm working with governments and, and and cities. So we try to project what what the what the model is going to do, what the COVID is going to do in advance, so we can get ready. Otherwise, this thing could overwhelm you with this ex exponential growth. And so we talked last week about the fact that we thought that everything's going to be pretty pretty. Uh, uh, flat for a little while, you know, uh, moving upwards slowly. But uh, that in, in uh, by Halloween, uh, between Halloween and the and Thanksgiving holidays, we're going to have a significant increase. Uh, and all of a sudden, from Thanksgiving uh, up through December, we're talking about probably a two or three fold increase of what we have right now across the United States. I hope Michigan's spared, but I don't think it will be because a lot, a lot of this increase is coming from the fact we're all moving inside again and turning on furnaces. And we saw what happened in the South when they moved inside and turned on their air conditioner. Same sort of situation. And the COVID virus is a respiratory virus, and that moves much more naturally um, uh, through a cold environment than it does a warm one. It, it, it prefers a, a colder, darker environment uh, to, to live. Uh, and so last week, we talked a little bit about that. And so now I thought I'd talk about how to apply that to the economic environment. And uh, if you want, I've got a couple of slides. Yes. Um, how do you th how do you think how do you think we're doing uh, economically? 
Okay, not spectacular. Uh, well, we, I was going to say we lost 30 million jobs during the height of the initial outbreak. And I, as far as I know, we've got about half of them back. Is that is that about right? That's about right. That is okay. about right. All right. Uh, so we're, we're, we're on the upswing. Um, and the, the trouble is that actually a lot of that has to do with the economic support that the government gives us. Uh, and uh, when you see the distraction, sadly, of, of, of uh, Ruth Gader, Bader Ginsburg dying, uh, I'm concerned that Congress may take its, take its eye off the ball, which they already have, and not fund as much as they need to uh, to go, get through this uh, epidemic. They're talking about uh, $1.5 trillion. I think that's just about what we need. Uh, but if it's less than that, it's going to really hurt the economy. Uh, if it's more than that, uh, it might be okay because we have to get through um, a difficult season uh, during a lame duxation of Congress. So I, I wouldn't be too unhappy if they went to two point five or three trillion dollars. But two point five is about as much as on, on the table. And here's why: um, right now they have what they call a K-shaped recovery. Have you guys heard of the K-shaped recovery? No, no. So that's sort of interesting. They're, they're, uh, part of the economy is taking off because they're actually uh, doing better in this pandemic. Uh, relatively uh, compared to other parts of the economy. And the parts of the economy that are doing extremely well are those that can socially distance and still deliver. So if you think about consulting companies and uh, big software firms and companies like Amazon and companies like uh, Facebook, they, they do pretty well. Financial uh, services, things like that. Right? Absolutely. They do pretty well in, the, in this account. Financial services is a special case because they're actually influenced by what the Fed does, which we'll go into in a second. But yeah, those are the kind of companies that do extremely well. The service, the, the service companies that can, that can still be remote. The service companies that have to be face-to-face, like, you know, uh, like, uh, like uh, restaurants and, and travel services, those are really hurting. But if you can get away from the, the people and still do as, much, as well as you can, you actually reduce your costs. Uh, and you uh, increase your revenue. So it's a great situation. And the FANG stocks, they call the FANG stocks. You can see that on the, on the left-hand side here, the, the brown stocks. Those are, um, those are the weighted average of, the, uh, of Facebook, Amazon, um, uh, Netflix, Google, and a few others. Uh, but you know, those, those are the FANG stocks. Uh, 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 Apple's last one, of course. Um, put those all together, and you separate them out from how, how the rest of the S&P and you get the fact that, that they're going up pretty well. The rest of the S&P is that dark green line down below. And you can see they're, they're not really recovering so well. And so there's, that's what they call a K-shaped recovery. And mm-hmm. so these stocks that, you know, are, are designed to help other companies distance and distance themselves uh, more effectively. They are doing extremely well in COVID. Uh, <laughs> if you're not in that group, you're, you're really having trouble. And um, the, the, the real problem we're having is that people get confused between what's happening in Wall Street and then the versus the, what they call the real economy, which is happening on Main Street. And um, 33 million, uh, 500,000 pe- 500, uh, uh, people lost their jobs in April. Um, and it is, uh, we've, we've recovered a few of those jobs, but the, those that are remaining are likely to be a much more permanent. Uh, those people went on furlough and then were hired back relatively quickly. Those ki- kinds of companies basically went through uh, the recovery and, and are probably going to be okay, but they're struggling. I, I work with several, for example, airline companies, and they've been holding on by, you know, but they, you know, a couple, they, they've been losing, you know, the company I was working with was losing 17 to $25 million a week, a day, I'm sorry, a day. <laughs> and that, that, gets, that gets expensive after a while. 
uh, and just can't keep holding on. So you eventually have to let people go uh, if your business doesn't come back. And this is a demand side uh, unemployment that is really unprecedented. Uh, it's, and it's, we've never seen this kind of uh, trouble since, since, since really the Great Depression. So the answer to the question is how we're doing economically is, for a lot of people, not well. And it's going to get worse. And it's really worrisome to watch COVID continue and, and people being at risk. The issue that we're going to have to watch is what the quality, quantity, and timing of the government Main Street stimulus is uh, in the economy. And that's why I'm so worried about Ruth Gate, the, the, the distraction of, of, of the Supreme Court justice uh, discussion, because uh, that, that, that really could. Um, well, and, and the worst job losses are in like what you could describe as the travel and entertainment sectors, right? Uh, travel, entertainment, leisure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, those are the ones that are really, uh, unfortunately, there's, you know, um, they're, they're, they're having the most trouble distancing and still keeping their operating model going. Uh, yeah. So that's the challenge. So that's one big area of the economic modeling that we have to think about, Wall Street versus Main Street. The second big thing about, um, about uh, the economy is the fact uh, that the Fed, the Fed has really, um, has really stepped up beyond what I was forecasting they would. I was forecasting they put in 1.2 trillion. They've actually put in $3 trillion into the economy. And you can see that. You can see there, there are all of the other economies on, on the far right. Our, our color is light green on the far right. And you can see that's the whole world economy uh, <laughs> stimulus. Uh, and we're, we're kind of about 90% of that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it looks like 85 or 90% there. Yeah. Yeah. So we have really put in a lot of money and now they're, you know, which is, which is actually a good thing because otherwise our whole economy would have collapsed. Everything would have frozen up. That's what we don't want. That's what we want to avoid is a freeze of the whole of, uh, 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 of the, of the consumer uh, uh, of, 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 of consumer spending completely. And uh, like I said before, the trick about uh, pandemics is to smash them early kind of over-respond. And that's exactly what the Fed did. They were, they were well consulted. They knew what was going to happen. They came in um, and um, they, uh, they, 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 they really uh, did, did a much better job than, 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 than I think any, any other Fed uh, in, the, in the world did, any, any other uh, central bank did. Um, hmm. One of the issues we have is, of course, reinforced racial disparities. Unfortunately, we used old systems to, um, to inject this money back into the economy. And if you look at the, the kind of what happened at the end of the day, if you didn't have relationships with a bank, um, and, and many uh, black minority-owned businesses did not have uh, relationships with banks that had access to this money, um, they simply were, were out, of the, out of the picture. So only 1% of the PPP uh, program went to, to that part of the economy. And that just causes more disparity and, and actually more concentration of, of, of wealth, unfortunately, in, in, in many cases. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. One, ha one thing that is happening is that consumers are starting to save a lot more. And when they save a lot more, um, the velocity of the money that you put into it uh, doesn't accelerate as much as you anticipate. So we may actually have to put in more than we actually anticipated. I think the, the Fed has calculated this pretty well. So the big issue is, especially around what they call quantitative easing policies. How much money does the Fed want to inject back into the economy by basically buying commercial, commercial uh, assets, commercial paper? Um, to the extent they're willing to do more and more of that, uh, the, the economy will do well. To the extent they'll do less and less and simply work on interest rates, it'll have more and more trouble, uh, the, the economy will get more and more sluggish. So that, that aspect of what they're investing in, how they're investing in, and how fast uh, is, is a big deal. They, they, they set aside 1.2 trillion and they've only spent in the billion. So they've got a long way to go on the QE set. So 
that's sort of what's happening at a high level on the Fed level, the real economy, the, 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 the stock market economy. And we can certainly talk about anything uh, in that in more detail if you like. But what I wanted to go back to is kind of the, the truth is that the biologic models are going to overwhelm anything we do economically. The problem is that we're trying to address a biologic problem, a health problem with traditional um, tr traditional tools uh, of the economy. And this isn't, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't actually the, where, where we've got the tools that can help but it's not really solving the, the, bo the bottom line of the problem. The bottom line of the problem is what COVID is doing. And there are basically three bets that any government can make. The first bet is to hope that you will get lucky, that we'll basically, um, have, there's a vaccine coming, everything's going to be wonderful, you know, give it, you know, kind of middle of, middle of next year, we'll be coming out of this, everything will be, in fact, some people even think, you know, October, if we come out of it, and it'll be great. But um, if that's the case, then basically you're going to go through a V-shaped um, V-shaped, uh, my, my, my estimates would you go through a V-shaped recovery. You'd have about 500,000 deaths until a vaccine gets in control. That would happen if you had a perfect vaccine come out and everyone was vaccinated extremely rapidly. That would come out uh, by the end of 2021. So that's sort of what the timing is of that. Uh, and what you want to do in that situation is you want to avoid permanent economic damage, right? So you want to restore confidence, say everything's wonderful, go out and do what you normally do. And you'd encourage all the normalcy you could because you knew that this vaccine was coming and everything was going to be great. And you sure don't want to have your economy freeze on you uh, just before the vaccine comes on. So that's that would be the strategy if you thought you were getting lucky. And basically, the United States and Russia have bet on getting lucky. That's our bet. And the, the bet is placed. So, you know, we're going to let it ride. <laughs> but there are other countries that are doing things a little bit differently. The other, uh, another one is, is a marathon. It, it believes that COVID will continue for several years, and therefore you want to be very good at, uh, uh, very good at carefully controlling how much COVID you know expands and contracts, and then how much that affects your economy. And finally, uh, under the brutal model, you just let things slide. Uh, so that would be India. That would be uh, Brazil. That would be uh, that would be. Uh, uh, Sweden. So those those countries are letting things go. UK to a large extent is letting things go. Sadly, they just shut down again. Which, so maybe they're getting back into marathon. Europe and China uh, and uh, Korea and Taiwan and Singapore are more of the countries that are going for a marathon kind of approach. That gives you a sense of where all the bets are right now in, in the governments. Now, now let's talk about our our U.S. economy. Basically. You can see that what I, what, I, what I put into my model uh, is, is how much you've got pop, for pop positive factors helping you increase uh, the overall economy and where the negative factors are. And you can see that we're pretty well balanced when we, as we started to move in to, 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 to the year. Uh, we, but it was slowing. You know, we were slowing down a little bit. The dollar velocity was going down a little bit. Um, they're, 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 uh, they're, they're, the government debt levels were going up to pay for the big tax cut, President Trump arranged, uh, so that that also... Was, was having a little bit of pressure on the economy, but our unemployment was doing great. Our tax rates were great. Our interest rates were great. And so, you know, that sort of offset, and we were, you know, sort of continuing to churn along pretty well, you know, not bad. Then we see what happens when, you know, uh, when we had shutdowns. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't that we decided to have shutdowns and COVID made us have shutdowns. So there, there wasn't, just, no one was willing to go out and buy stuff. <laughs> that was, you know, people say, oh yes, we decided to shut down. No, 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 no. <laughs> nothing to do, had nothing to do with what we did. COVID said, you know, you know, you're, you're, if you don't shut down, basically we're going to kill everybody on the planet. So uh, we decided, oh, we'll, we'll back off a little bit. And that, that really was uh, what was what caused the shutdown is COVID hit us. And after that, you know, the savings rate started uh, to increase. So that actually 
caused us to push down the economy. Healthcare investments uh, actually uh, are, are slightly negative here because you've got to reinvest in infrastructure that you should have had to begin with, so they don't help as much as they should. Structural unemployment increased significantly. Corporate earnings went down a lot because we didn't have any revenues. And taxes ultimately are going to increase because there's, someone's going to have to pay for all this. So um, those are the things that are pushing us down as we try to move out of this issue. And on the other hand, we had the Fed, as I said, the, the interest rates, the QE, all that, the, the CARES Act, the HEROES Act coming through Congress are stimulating the economy. So those are the things you have to offset. And what's interesting about this is that at any given point, COVID, what COVID does actually completely overwhelms anything that, you know, you Fed can do anything they want with interest rates. But if we've got a mutated virus on our hands that is, you know, that, that has a death, that, that triples the death rate suddenly, uh, what the Fed does with interest rates isn't going to matter at all. So we have to always model COVID first and then look at the issue on how it sits the economy. So you can see that there's a huge range of how long this COVID era could last. It could last 18 months if we're lucky with a vaccine, or it could last 120 months if we're really unlucky with, with how well these, these, these interventions work. Um, and the recovery, no matter what happens, is going to take a year plus because it takes time for the economy to you know, look, regain consumer confidence, uh, actually disperse the, the, the solution that actually stopped the COVID. And then after that, you get normalcy. So normalcy, I think, might happen as early as 2023, but it may take us until 2030 to get uh, or even beyond to actually get to what we consider completely normal lives and back to the same economy we had before this COVID virus hit. That's sort of a, um, a, a sense of how we, we model this. And the answer you can see is that it looks like we're going to have sort of a square root function. Uh, so it's going to come down sharply and then come back up and then slowly go upward. So let's take a look at that. Basically, here are the different square root functions depending on what happens to the COVID virus. Uh, uh, we talked about the three bets. One was the get lucky. And, 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 and that's the case. If we get lucky, you can see um, that we're going to, um, that's that's in the in the in the green. So if you look at the green, uh, it's right here. Comes down, comes back up very ra quite rapidly, and basically by 2023, you're back to a normal economy. Middle of 2023, you're back to a normal economy again. Um, now, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the stock market. I'm talking about the real economy where people have been unemployed and gradually get back to work. You can see how fast, how far things came down. Our GDP was at about $21.7 trillion, $20.7 trillion, excuse me, and went down 35% in that period where we shut down. And the U6 unemployment rate, that's a full unemployment rate. We usually we hear on the radio is U3 unemployment rate. That's people who actually filed for unemployment. The U6 unemployment rate is people who are the complete number of, of, of people who are not working. That went down to about 22.5%. That went from 4.4% you know, uh, uh, to Minus 22.4%, So really a huge dip and then slowly came back up again. Now, if we're on a marathon race, that means that we've got, you know, we've got this, the blue line is the marathon. And basically, I think we're going to, it's going to, uh, we're going to take, we're going to cost about $12.6 trillion to get through it. Um, we'll have to invest uh, in, in the new infrastructure and healthcare quite a bit. Uh, it's going to take us about four years to get through the, the process and we'll have normalcy in about uh, in about uh, five and a half years. If you if we let things go though and we don't get a good we don't get good therapies, this could cost us 28 trillion dollars uh, and take uh, take up to 10 years. So we have to really start you know start continuing to focus, continuing to invest in the space or we'll move to a brutal uh, uh, kind of scenario. And unfortunately what happens if you try to get lucky enough times, 
um, and then, and keep f failing, what happens is you fall into a brutal, right? Because you're just just a little bit, one, one more bet, one more bet on getting lucky. One, let's, let's double or nothing again. Let's double, and all of a sudden you follow the brutal pathway without really knowing it. You, you've been sucked into the to the to the wish of the of, of the, 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 the the attractors of the bet. So my my thought about about how to manage this is actually to try to hedge that scenario where we're gonna we're gonna see if we're gonna get lucky to begin with. So you kind of say, fine, let's evaluate that bet. And if it doesn't work out, if we still haven't, don't have control of the virus because our, vir our, our vaccines aren't quite as good as we were hoping they would be, then I'd recommend at least investing in a lot more testing, a lot more healthcare infrastructure. So if you, if you have to go a long time, at least you're ready for the downside. In this case right now, we're not really even ready for the downside. We haven't really invested in testing. We haven't really invested much in the PPE. We're way behind on the demand side of, of a lot of the most important drugs. So we have to redo that investment. Uh, otherwise, we will move into a brutal scenario, which is going to be a lot more expensive in the long run. So how bad do you think it is? Believe it or not, if you added up every recession we've had, between 1945, after the Great Depression, and today, you just barely have the amount of down that we've had in this one biological event. And the reason for that is that, as I said, it's not really an economic event. This is a biological event that's affecting the whole world simultaneously. And so when we had our Great Recession, uh, that, that, that took us, uh, uh, you know, uh, several years to get out of. Uh, and... It, it took our economy down about five and a half percent. This took our economy down a lot. You have to you have to add up both of the major recessions we had during the Great Depression, and that, and then you get to the level of of unemployment and GDP effect that we had just with this COVID issue. So you have to add up what happened in the dot com, what happened in the 1990s, what happened in the 1980s, what happened in the 1970s, all the recessions in the 60s and 50s, and all the recessions in the 1940s. If you add all those together. You just barely get to the point where, or we, where, where you're hitting the amount of impact this is having to on our economy economically right now. And the reason we're not feeling it is because there's enough stimulus that the government has put in, unlike in the Great Depression where they you know, pull money out, put all sorts of tariffs up, and so on. Uh, we're actually doing some of the right things, and so we don't feel it day to day. But if we don't continue to do the right things, it'll feel really, really bad for an awful long time. So. That's sort of the where the economy is. So my, my general forecast for the economy is um, expect sustained negative growth, uh, a, a reverse square root recovery, you know, slow up, slow up, big peak down, slow up or upside. I think it'll probably be at about eight to nine percent unemployment uh, for about five years. Unfortunately, there'll be additional lockdowns uh, that may be required. Uh, uh, that will cause the economy to dip again into a big uh, downturn. And that may happen in this February. Uh, we'll have to see February, March period. Um, uh, probably not if, if President Trump is reelected because he'll feel like he's, he has a mandate to continue. But if President Biden is a vice president Biden is elected, he may choose to lock down the economy in order to gain control. Because frankly, we are so far off the norm about how badly we're doing compared to all the other countries, except with the exception of, you know, Peru and Brazil. And, uh, but if you're talking about, you know, the, the countries who have vaccine capability, who are advanced economies, um, first world economies, P7 level economies, we are so far, far off the norm, we can't even, we can't even copy what they're doing to get better because we have so much COVID in our, in our, in our environment. 
Um, we're going to have to have novel tools to address a novel environment. Well, that goes for both on the economy. So we're using QE. We may have to go to negative interest rates. I don't think that'll happen, but we may have to. Uh, and um, we may have to go to uh, brand new kinds of vaccines, which we're developing. I can talk about that next week if you like. Um, and we're going to see a lots of, of, of constraints, right? especially on the direct service businesses that are going to actually limit the productivity and GDP growth, and that's going to keep unemployment uh, elevated because, sadly, it's a global problem. The rest of the economies aren't stimulated enough. They can't help us. We're not helping ourselves because so much of our economy is shut down. Combined makes this a hard one to get out of unless we get a real technical solution fast. And so hopefully the vaccine will come through. There's going to be continued uh, inequality, and it's going to increase. The larger are going to get larger, and the poorer are going to get sicker, sadly. Um, and uh, for people who are, uh, you know, on the top part of the wealth graph, they might think they're doing well compared to their barista at, 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 uh, at Starbucks. But the truth is that if you think about what really made their, you know, what really made their life fun was the, you know, the extra house in a nice place in the world, uh, the fancy car, those pieces of spice aren't really there anymore, right? What are you going to, you can't get a real happy life until you solve this problem. So I think everyone's going to be a little bit depressed about, about where we are. I think there is going to be tax increases and they may be stealth taxes or they may be explicit, but I think ultimately everyone's going to have to pay for, for what's happened at this point. Um, and there's going to be some structural changes that are going to be permanent from this. We'll have some new parts of the economy, some new agencies in the, in the, in, in, in the government and so on that are going to be permanent. Uh, as, as a result of this. And we may have um, you know, permanent issues with, with, with our economy that we have to dig ourselves out of uh, on the commercial real estate side, on the retail mall side, on, on, on uh, a whole bunch of other areas, uh, uh, and especially when it comes to funding small municipalities and state governments. So with that, what, 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 what do you guys think? Well, well, I sure wouldn't want to be investing in uh, office buildings <laughs> and shopping malls right now. I can talk about <laughs> No, uh, well, you know, you might be able to buy on the downside. You know, uh, some, well, some, that's people are, true. some people are looking at that. I mean, look what Dan Gilbert did in downtown Detroit. Eventually, downtown Detroit got so cheap they were having a sale on skyscrapers. So that's right. You know, if you if you can wait it out three to five years, <clears> I mean, you you could, uh, but you have to be able to mothball for three to five years. Don't think you're going to be able to wait for six months or going to turn around in three months because that's not going to happen. Right, right. But, you know, if you could, if you can sort of mothball hang on there. Uh, it's a great time to borrow money. You got real low interest rates. What the heck? You know, may as well roll some die and see if you get lucky on the on the upside. You could, that could happen on the investor side. That's not true about you know you and me and and the rest of the average guys, right? We're we're we can't do those bets. But there are guys who are out there who are doing that regularly right now. I'm sure. I'm well, it's it's up. it's been weird to see which parts of the economy are are doing really well because. I have a, a friend of mine who's actually a security guard at a community college. And then for a side hustle, he does like kitchen and bathroom work. He's never been busier. You know, everybody's, oh, fixing, yeah. up the house, everybody's fixing up the house that they've got because they can't go anywhere. Yeah. It's so, all about, it's all about Lowe's. It's all about, right. I mean, those, those are the companies that are doing really well. So at Lowe's and, uh, <clears> and uh, um, uh, Home Depot and all those, I, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't make pl plugs. I know nothing about investing, so please don't don't take anything. Support your local hardware store, folks. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Do not do not uh, do not believe anything I say about investments. I, I know nothing about investments, so please please. Oh, I can tell you a lot about the large economy. I can tell you a lot about a lot about the the, the pandemic because I'm, I'm an expert, actually an expert in pandemic to pandemic management. But I, I you know investment advice. Please don't don't believe anything I say. <laughs> well, one of 
one of the one of the businesses that, that are is doing well, a group of businesses that are doing well in Michigan is my other publication, the cannabis and and uh-huh. the CBD world right now is exploding in Michigan. Uh, doing, uh, you know, we've only been legal for cannabis since December, and this people are buying it like crazy, and tax dollars are coming in, and I guess because they have a fair amount of time on their hands and they're at home or something, but. And, and those same businesses, I think you might see a lot of them moving into those empty warehouses and whatnot. That's right. Absolutely. They're at that stage where they want to expand, and these warehouses are lease spots that have been in malls or whatever are closing down. And so that will give them an opportunity to move into those. Yeah, lock, lock, lock a big five-year deal in right now, right? I mean, it's the right time to, to go for something like that, possibly. Uh, and I, I, the one thing that uh, is interesting is that Michigan actually was the number one state in terms of support that it gave its citizens uh, uh, during during the shutdown. You know, when you look at the federal plus the state ch- uh, government uh, uh, subsidies for unemployment, Michigan didn't was number one. We were fifteen hundred dollars ahead of the a- average uh, per month uh, uh, for for the state residents. Unfortunately, now that you see the, those subsidies being pulled back, we could have actually a bigger hit than most other states too. So, something to uh, think about. But at least we got. Uh, we did well on the first round, and hopefully, people say. Well, we got about three minutes left, uh, huh. so uh, that's not enough time to really go into any subjects. But let me just hit you with a quick one that's always sort of perplexed me: Are virus sentient? I mean, they seem so intelligent; they they seem to do know what to do the right things to have the biggest infection bang. I, I'm not a, an epidemiologist like you, so I don't know. Are they smart? Uh, well, it turns out that that that, that, that organisms uh, alike, like viruses actually are viruses. I don't have really an intelligence until they start infecting people because they need us in order. They're they're sort of a parasite. They're they're a genetic parasite. They're sort of like a, a message in a bottle, and you open up the bottle and you read the message, and then it becomes powerful. The same thing happens in our bodies. Virus gets into you. It opens up the message. All of a sudden, the virus becomes alive and powerful, uh, and um, they don't really communicate with one another to our knowledge. There are, interestingly, some really interesting studies about you know, slime molds and things like that that communicate electronically. It's a sort of very, very cool research. But in this case, they don't really communicate, but they are very effective in, in getting into you know, every open area. If you leave anything untouched, you know, nature is, nature is just um, relentless. I mean, it, it, will be, it will fill up every niche, every opportunity, every availability. If you don't cover it up, it's there. And we know that from, you know, you know, <laughs> dust and everything else. It's just going to it's going to hit you, and if you don't if you don't control it and have a strategy for controlling it, so it isn't it isn't that it's smart. It's just that we let it we de- we're, we're we're letting it have too many opportunities, and that's what's hurting it. Uh, okay, we're going to have to leave it at that. So, what are we going to cover next week? Next week, we could if you want to, we can go into vaccines in a little bit if you want. There are some pretty interesting things on the vaccine uh, space if you want to go into that in some detail. Yeah, that's that, that's, that sounds like that might be even somewhat hopeful, which I think we all need right now. So, yeah, <laughs> yes. hope is good. <laughs> oh, yes, no, no. I uh, so I, I the vaccines are our best story, right? I mean, that's the big bet we made, and uh, some of it's coming coming through. I mean, I'm surprised. I, I'm shocked about how fast things are going, and it's great. I mean, it really is. I'm really hopeful that we're going to get something good. Okay, that on that hopeful note. So take us out, man. All right. Well, I want to thank our uh, own personal. Uh, epidemiologist and infectious disease expert Fred Brown for being with us today. We'll be back again next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, same time, same bat channel. And uh, we'll see you again in a week. For right now, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan.
And you've been watching the M Squared TechCast, MITechnews.tv. Thanks for listening to M Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Join your host, Matt Rauch.